It's Carl Kennedy from The Rods, and you're watching Aftershocks TV. So right, let's move on to our last segment now, Tom. The last question that we do on every mm. episode here of Aftershocks TV. Um, today, okay, our last question is going to be a favorite band or artist that changed a musical direction after the first, you know, album or so. Whether they got heavier or lighter, let's 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 dig into this. There's a lot of bands that have done mm. this over years. Now I think there's a difference between evolving your sound, but then changing a musical direction sort yeah. of completely. You know, there's, obviously bands always evolve with their sound, but a lot of bands have done a drastic change in their sound too. So go ahead, let's talk about what you got. What's some of your favorite bands? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna not take what you said. I'm gonna put my own spin on it. And the reason for that, you said favorite bands. I couldn't like the bands I'm gonna mention. I'm a huge fan of favorite mm. bands. No, and um, that that's yeah. reserved for the top whatever. But and then also after one or two albums, some took a little bit of time to get beyond the one or two. But it's the same mm. concept. And I've got three bands. I'm gonna just touch on super quick. One is Opeth, right? Okay. I'm yeah. a huge Opeth sure. fan. Huge. So I'm number of times live, stellar musicians. Opeth are almost like this progressive, like today they're like a progressive, psychedelic, tangerine dream, Pink Floyd, rainbow all mixed in together, um, very atmospheric. You kind of walk out and go, holy shit, what did they just look at? That's mm. Opeth today. Opeth came out, you know, first album is 95. Um, mm. And around, uh, sorry, first album is um uh, yeah, ninety-five. So around two thousand and five, with Ghost Reveries, Reveries, they changed. They started to change their sound, bring in all the kind of the haunting features, arrangements, longer songs, and basically from then onwards, right up to their latest album, which was two thousand and nineteen, in called a verb, but I can't pronounce some Latin thingy, whatever. Came out a couple mm. years ago. They went from being a death metal band yeah. to being this. To be not a, de a death metal band, this atmospheric, mm -hmm. like progressive, different type of band, like like I just said. So they literally just woke up and said, "We're not doing this anymore." So I was going, "Holy shit, balls!" Now I love the two Opets, but I would, and I'm a huge death metal fan, but I prefer newer Opeth than previous because I think mm -hmm. Michael Agerfeld, I've seen again, he's like he's incredibly talented, um, great musicians. They trying to jump around musicians a little bit with their keyboard player and the bass players, but I'm a big fan. Another quick one for me would be, let's go back 50, you know, let's go back, what, 54 years, 55 years, Deep Purple, late 70s. First sure. three Deep Purple albums, they had uh, they had the Shades of Deep Purple, the album Deep Purple, and the book of Tales in or Tales, I can't pronounce it. Um, mm. And then and then they came in with Deep Purple and Rock, which I think was 71. So they went from 68, 67, 68 to 1970, actually. And then they started out with Speed King. So they went from mm. whatever they went, this groovy 70s keyboardy type song, a couple of hits in there. And then they just came almost like a metal song in 1970 because speaking just fucking kicks you in the ass. So they went mm. from that to a complete distraction. And then just let's touch on, and just look, I could mention Celtic Frost, obviously. They came out with Cold Lake a couple of years, a couple of years ago. Jeez, 1985, 87, whatever. Um, and they went from being, you know, in Mega Theron right into Cold Lake, which is, and I think they're mm. actually good albums. I'm a fan of Tom G. Warrior and his later stuff in Triptychon, I think it's just sure. immense, absolutely mm. immense. Um, uh, but and that's and then I'll, I'll finish on Maiden. Obviously, the first two Maiden albums were punk metal, even though Steve Harris lies his ass off and said he hates punk, he never listened to it. 
Nobody believes that. There's punk elements all over the oh, first over Maiden the album. Remember, sure. this is Maiden started in 1976 in London, which was the height of the punk season, like punk Sex season, yeah. and the Clash, whatever, and London and all the hair and that and the dress, whatever. So they were right in the middle of that scene when they began. And I was, and Steve Harris was a big UFO and Thin Lizzy fan, so he's never a punk guy, but he was clearly influenced by what was going on Absolutely. around him. Yeah. But then fast forward then into Number of the Beast, and they just became. Obviously, Bruce Dickinson came on, the Air Raid Siren and all that kind of thing. But there's, if you listen to Killers and you listen to Number of the Beast, that for me is a drastic change. So I'm going to go with Opeth, Deep Purple, Celtic Frost, Iron Maiden. Yeah, well, of course, in Deep Purple, that's why they had all those mocks, right? Yeah. And each mock was just a different sort of sound. Yeah, yeah. And, and you that's can even, another I mean, discussion. This is another one for uh, down yeah. the line, Mach 2 versus Mach 3. Ooh. Sure, exactly. I mean, yeah, you can you go into that all day. Yeah, and like you yep. said, yeah, Maiden, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, Steve Harris, I know he says, oh, he despised punk. I mean, it's all over the place on those records. All over. I mean, yeah, all over. I mean, it's very <laughs> punk influenced. I don't care. Uh, you said maybe he did hate it, but he was definitely, it was seeping into his playing and his influences because... It was definitely there. I think Matt yeah. is too far. He's too far into the line now. He has to keep going. He can't go back and yeah. say, "Oh, I kind of was." He just has to fuck it. He has to just say, "No, no, no," and just exactly stick <laughs> no. to his guns on it. Uh, you said, "Yeah, No Path." Obviously, is one of those bands like you said that have always changing. You know, there's certain bands that are like that, right? Mm. There's certain bands out there that that they'll do that to, to fans. Like, okay, you don't know what's coming. You know, from one record no. to the next. No. Opeth's one of those bands. Like, there's this band right now out of um, Australia. I don't know if they, they got a really weird name. They're called the King Gizzard and the Wizard Lizard. You ever hear I've of them? Of, I have. I okay. Do, I, yeah. I, I heard them on um, Decibel Geek podcast. They mentioned them many times. So I know yeah. the name because how can you forget the name? Yeah, they're they're like that too. They 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 have like psychedelic stuff. Like their new album this year came out. Pure classic metal. Pure. You know, and so it's kind of funny because they're one of those bands. They're like, you know, there's there's like these jammy bands that you have out there, like them and Umphreys McGee. There's all these mm. bands that actually will have a lot of these metallic thresh things in their sound, but they also have like a lot of sure. jammy stuff, you know, almost like Grateful Dead stuff mixed with mm. it. It's really, and, and that's what the King Gizzard Wizard Lizard is. They're like that band. Interesting band, too, because they, they just, I think, played over here in the States, sold out like two or three nights at the Red Rocks in Colorado. Holy shit. And not a lot of people know who they are. And once Red, again, they, they, wait, let me just go back. They sold out Red Rocks? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, a couple of nights. Like, I think two or three like nights 10, they sold out. That's like 10,000 seater, I believe. Well, because a lot of people, you know, it, they were smart, right? They Instead of wow, touring man. the U.S., right, where you're going to have a lot of empty venues, they know if we play in an iconic ve you know, venue like that, Red Rocks, people will sure. travel to, to see them. And I think that's yeah. what basically essentially happened. Um, and so, yeah, virtually no one knows them, but there they are selling out these. Wow. The, the jam band thing is very interesting. The, the, those bands sell out like it's it's a very interesting, you know, we'll, we'll get, I'm going to get too deep into that. But, yeah. Anyway, but, yeah, so you have those bands like Opeth and them that you just don't know what to expect from Mal now. But like you said, Opeth is yeah. definitely one of those. And, yeah, great band. Like I said, I agree. Fan of them as well myself. I'll get it to mine now. Now, first mm. thing that comes to me is Judas Priest. You know, obviously the early early albums with you yep. know, more of a proto metal until they really got into, especially I think starting really. I, I would think maybe with the eighties. You know, with British Steel and everything came out, they took it up a notch yep. and they became obviously. You know, they they obviously you, know, you go back to those earlier albums. I'd say Wings of Destiny. That's I, still probably my favorite Priest album. I think. Sure. Um, you know, they they just they changed obviously. Pretty big, obviously, as well. I guess a lot of the, you know, Priest made, and I guess a lot of those bands just did at that time once metal really started taking hold. So, yeah, Priest. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, you could even, not, not that this is really on my thing, but I was thinking about it as we were talking, you could even put Black Sabbath in there, obviously, with all their different, with the different singers. Each one has different sound, so they've changed, obviously. But yeah. like I said, but when That's I think of really drastic sounds, I mean, the, the one that really comes to me is Corrosion of Conformity. Mm. You know? I mean, we're talking about, we don't want to talk about drastic change. You know, they went yeah. from being a crossover thrash hardcore punk band their first couple of records and then same thing you come here comes the 90s and they went you know for one album which is my favorite album by them blind um mm -hmm. which you know which is yep. really more of a groove metal like metallica sounding record and then after that went right into a stoner southern rock sound <laughs> which they've been doing since today and that's when they really yeah. got big with albatross and everything so yeah, COC really changed. They once again, and what's amazing about COC was they're known. If, when, when people ask you, okay, what are some of the classic crossover thrash bands? They're automatically right in there. You ask anybody from the, those days, they always say, "Oh, Corrosion Conformity." They were, you know, they had, uh, you know they're from right from where you are, Tom, in North Carolina. Right. They moved Obviously, to yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they moved to New York to try to, because that's where that crossover thrash, you know, stuff was going on. Then they got out, they moved back down to North Carolina and said, we're going to go with our roots here. We're going Southern rock and Southern, you know, and stoner stuff. And back to the seventies, you know, sound with more Sabbath, you know, influenced music. And mm. then they took off, you know, and so they really were huge. They're known as really trendsetters or the iconic bands in both that hardcore punk, hardcore, you know, crossover stuff. As well as in the stoner rock, when people say, "What are the you know, I guess classic stoner rock bands?" You're going to hear Caius, Fu Manchu, and Crozier yep. Conformity. So they were huge trendsetters for two genres, which is very interesting too. That to have that, it's pretty pretty interesting. Um, and then the other band, um, I think I talked about these last. You know, speaking of live streams, it's one of the only ones I saw during the pandemic. The band Clutch. If you listen to early Clutch, right. right. Very heavy stuff, more metallic, more hardcore sounding stuff. Then out of nowhere, they did sort of they they did similar to what Corrosion of Conformity did. They went and started playing the blues oriented, you know, um, you know, stoner rock stuff. And they've been doing that ever since the mid nineties. Um, so yeah, they changed up big time, but, you know. Yeah, so, I, yeah. And, and you're right about that. You'd you often wonder, you know, if you take a Corrosion, you take an Opeth or whatever, you know, recent dish, I guess, but mm. like. What what happens? Like is because I don't think they're chasing musical trends per se. I, and I think maybe with Opeth, they just you know Michael Agarfelt is you know very well read, very well spoken. He's smart, he's sure. clever. Um, uh, he, I, I saw him in New York, um, and they played like they played big venues, like they played Radio City Music Hall, which is sure. like three thousand wow, seats or whatever. Wow, they, yeah, and they sold that out in oh, New York. Wow. That's, I, I think it's That's three thousand. I can't remember, but. He started talking about Y and T and and Summertime Girls that Dave Menachetti sang, and I was going like, and I don't, I, I I would guess like that ninety nine percent of the audience said, "What is he talking about? Y and T? Who? Dave Menachetti? Who? Summertime mm. Girls? It was this cheesy, cheesy walking yeah, around. Could be, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's it's a typical eighties kind of you know, yeah, it is whatever. But absolutely again, fun. my point. I don't know how I got onto this, but he started talking about Y and T and Summertime Girls, and I was going, "God damn, I know what he's talking about." But anyway, but they're a band that completely changed their sound, so we know that. But what was the the backstory to like what what was i don't think it was musical trends and i think my guess is is that any of the bands we're talking about just said well i can't bring this any further and then mm -hmm. you and then obviously yeah. it has to be calculated because they risk losing their death metal fans which brought them to where they were in the first place and are they going to pick up 
new fans to replace who they possibly left? Or do you, like me, do you just go with the journey and appreciate the two sides of the band? I appreciate the two sides of the band and prefer la- the newer um, um, Opeth as opposed to the Death Side, which I also love, but that's just me. Yeah, you know, you know, it, it's, it is, a, you know, so I, I think I was telling you, I, you know, at the start of this um, episode today, I was talking about what, last weekend going down to see Trevor Church from Haunt. Yeah. So that's a great example because he, I was interviewing him for the doc and, you know, he when he started out, he had a band called Beastmaker and they were, you know, a pretty big doom band that sure. they were on Rise Above Records, which is like, you know, one of the better doom labels in the country. It's run by Lee Dorian from Cathedral. And um, so he said when he started getting into doing the Sabbath stuff, he just realized that, that, that was it. There was no more. There was no more like you just brought up. He had nowhere else to go. He mm-hmm. took it as far as he could. And so it was like, so what do you do? Do you does now Beastmaker go into what he does now with Haunt, which is classic, you know, traditional heavy metal stuff, and then change it and, and risk losing all your fans? No, he had yeah. to start from scratch. But and but I think like a case in point with someone like an Opeth or some of these bands or like like COC, I think what it is is it's you either start fresh, right? You bring in a new singer, you bring in a new whatever it is, you start fresh. But it's it's so hard when, mm. when you have that brand already, to especially these days, you know. But but it was interesting. COC did it back then when it, when yeah, you had you, you were available, but. It's just hard to really start your brand over again because now, especially these days, it's going to take 10 years to build that up to a certain level that you wanted to get it to. Even back then, it was still, it took a few records and it's hard to get people to think of anything else, you know, to, 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 I guess, to leave that band and go to this, especially if they're not a fan of that music. So it is, it it is an interesting concept of a story of like, how do you go about choosing that and, and decide to, keep the name but then change mm. complete directions musically and, and hopefully you keep your fans you know I, I think you just have, for one i think you have to have the backing really of the label or whatever it is whoever's whoever's you know um really invested in you you know financially i think if they're okay with you doing it then okay you go a lot of labels won't do this yeah, that's a difference too if you've got that backing from a an a and r perspective or a label that's willing to say, well, listen, we just love what you do. Whatever you do, we're going to go ahead and support it. That's, I mean, I'm sure someone like Ackerfeltz with, with you know, Opeth, he's mm. got that. I mean, he already has such a huge following globally, and he's got such a, a great reputation as such an awesome guitarist and musician overall. Mm. I, I think the label's like, look, you're already bringing the crowd out. You can do whatever the hell you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you're right. But with COC, it's interesting because I don't, you know, to go from what they did to that, I think they did change labels, COC, and I think that's what it is too. You know, if labels will pick up. You know, yeah, I mean, some labels are saying, yeah. "No, we're done. We're not putting it out." A number of labels like, "Yeah, come on over here. We have no problem with your name. We can market it. You're, you, you tour." That's the thing. The, the key is, as long as you're touring consistently, mm. I don't labels don't care, especially these days. They don't give a shit what you're putting out, as long as you're going to go out there and you're going to push it right. and play it. Sure, we'll, we'll, we'll take a chance. We'll take the risk. So, but my you, know, you, you look at a band like like Rush as an example. So they went their first album in '74, right up to Moving Pictures '1980, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and uh, you know they were they released pretty consistent. Well, no, they were kind of all over the place, but consistent all over the place. You knew what you knew it was Rush when you heard it, right up twenty one twelve and mm-hmm. Hemispheres and so on and so forth. And then then uh, they released Moving Pictures and then boom, they went straight into Signals. They went into Grace Under Pressure. They went into mm. um, 
uh, say for me, Power Windows, um, and Presto, and all that. And they they went very very light. Alex for uh, Alex Alex Lifeson was kind of okay. Well, we don't really need you. You just strum in the corner, and they went heavy on the synth. They almost sounded like a, like a heavy police. And I love sure. Grace Under Pressure. I think it's. I actually think Grace Under Pressure is one of their best albums. I absolutely love it. But then they came back with counterparts um, and then said, okay, Alex, you're back. You can come back in again. So there's a band that took a complete left turn for, you know, six, seven years, but mm -hmm. still sold out arenas because their legacy and that their fans were, Rush fans are like another genre of fan. So they, they got away with it. But if you listen to the, that's a drastic change, sure. even in the space of two or three years, going from moving pictures right up to um, Grace Under Pressure. Again, I'll go with the flow. If I like the music, I like the music. I don't need a band or want the band to do what I like. Just do whatever you like. And if I jump on board, great. If I don't, I'll come back when you come back to me kind of thing. But and yeah, that's a great segment, Matt. So thanks for just bringing that up. Bruce. And as we're talking about it, we're just thinking of bands that are constantly meandering. And then you get an ACDC or a Maiden who pretty much stay the same, and that works for them. Oddly. Yeah. Well, like you said, I think with like Rush, right, they already had their legacy cemented. Mm. And, and, and the thing, too, back in the 80s and then even the 90s, there was so much money in the business. That's right. I mean, they were just throwing around money left and right. That's right. And you were putting out records more often, you know. So, mm. you know, for someone like Rush, yeah, like I said, they already had that fan base. And, and of course, yes, in the 80s, a lot of we, I mean, how many, we can name pretty much every band from the 70s and what their style was like in the 80s completely yep. drastically changed because of the synthesis. Haircuts changed. You know, yeah, changed, oh, yeah, yeah, everything. Came in, everything. I mean, yep. look at all of them. I mean, and MTV obviously really triggered all that. I mean, White Snake, Heart. You can go down a list. I mean, as all these bands changed their sound and style, mm. pressure from the, because they had the back of the labels. The labels sure. were not going to drop them. They just said, we want you to put out a you know, record that sounds like this. Okay, sure. You know, you still paying us? We're still going to get whatever? Yeah, we'll do it. Sure. Now, when it, they got some blowback from it, maybe from fans, and then labels started seeing, uh oh, the sales are going down, ticket sales are going down, record let's sales go are back. going down. Yep. Let's go back and let's retool and revamp. That's and, right. you know, and, and then in the 90s, of course, there was so much money in the 90s as well. It's just obviously since the dawn of the internet and, and streaming and so forth, it's just a whole different ball game mm -hmm. that bands are now, I mean, not taking chances anymore. They're playing it safe because they had to have to. They really have no other option yeah. and if they want to do something a little you know at a left field they've got to start a project as we see left and right with frontiers doing everything start your projects get it out that way and if something does click and it, it gets a huge fan response well then the labels will yeah. then pick you up to, and put money behind that so yeah. just yeah. a different way you know that uh the industry works but yeah it's, it is an interesting concept how yeah you good know, topic or, or I like that topic. yeah yeah it's absolutely good. All right, so we're getting ready to wrap it up here for this week's uh, episode, Tom. Great time, as always. Yes, sir. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there before we get ready to wrap this up? Uh, and this is so. This has been recorded. It is one nineteen. So obviously, these go live and get posted a week later. But I'm going to see Tool on Sunday evening here at the Spectrum Center in um, in Charlotte. So twenty thousand seats. I think it's sold out or almost sold out. So when we come back on. Obviously, when we come back on again, there's all the time changes that'll happen with the posting dates, but I'll definitely give a review of my upcoming tool concert and see where we go from there. What about you, Great. Matt? Yeah, well, I, I don't really, once again, like I was telling you, there's not much, I don't have anything coming up show-wise until March mm. when I've got Prong uh, playing with Voivod. Yep. But when you go to that tool show, because this, I, I was actually going to bring this band up, but no one really knows them about changing their, their sound. The opening band, you got to go and check out the opening band. They're called Elder. 
They're, they're a band that's been part of the heavy rock scene for uh, probably about 15 years from Boston. Mm. Um, they started out as a real sort of almost like a band. It sounds kind of like a helmet sounding band, a really heavy rock 90s groove metal type of, I don't say metal, but groove rock. Okay. Um, but a lot heavier. And they've changed. They, they put out an album last year. Um, they actually all moved. So they're from Boston originally, but they all moved to Germany. The band now it lives and is based in Germany because they got such a huge following over there wow. in Europe. And they got taps to open for Tool. And they're an incredible band. Like I said, they've got a lot of long songs. They've become really more progressive and psychedelic type of sound they've got on them. But don't skip Mm. them because they're an incredible band. And I'm so glad that Tool picked them up. We were all... Interesting. Yeah, all the stuff that we were focusing on, Heavy Galaxy, they're in that vernacular uh, and that kind of sound. So, yeah, I I was so happy that Tool put them on tour. We came out of left field. But they they were were like the album of the year in 2022 um for that sound and um yeah they're a huge fans so definitely i want to hear your review on elder not just i will yeah. and just before you go matthew we were obviously texting yesterday about the band i mentioned a few weeks ago sleep token the band from uh, oh, yes. london england they just That's announced right. their u.s tour they're playing in Asheville, which is about two hours west of me um uh and again not many people know who they are you like them you don't like them that doesn't matter but I personally have discovered this band. I'm just falling in love with their discography. Not that it's that big. They date back to 2016. And they're playing seven to 10,000 seaters yeah. in the US. That's their tour. Not 500, like not George Lynch playing to four and 500 people. Tenth, they actually sold out and they're playing Radio City Music Hall. Uh, the, the club, yeah. club theater here in uh, Asheville is uh, 7,200. And they also are playing um, Red Rocks, which I think is 10,000, if I'm not mistaken. So they're a band. My, my prediction, played this back in a the year, they're going to be headlining arenas in a year from now. I've well, no, we, said no last, we, we said last week on it, we said, are they the new ghost? I think they are. I think they're going to... They, I think they are. Be, well, we, well, we yeah. spoke last time and I said there was 1.4 million, sorry, 14 million plays of their new song, The Summoning, on YouTube since since that conversation, it's now 15 million. There's an extra million views. It's wow. obviously to do with aftershocks, uh, Matt, because we just we, we mentioned. Oh yeah, we have millions obviously. of viewers, of course. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're the big trendsetters here. Listen to us. Everyone's gonna go buy your record. So that's it. You yeah. hear that? All those bands out there that are dissing us, like the one last week. Yeah. This is what you're yeah. missing out on: millions of viewers and listeners. Right? You're not playing Radio Music City, Radio City Music Hall. Okay, you have to, you know. There you go. Anyway, you got to come yeah. on here first. Yeah, yeah. 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 come yeah. on here first. With a, yeah. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> oh man, great. All right, well, Tom, great time again. And like I said, we'll right, uh, we'll see everyone next week for AfterShocks TV. Thanks for, of course, as always, watching. Thanks, listening. everyone. Have a good there you one. Go.